So I've, I've always wanted to build a holding company for productivity apps. And I understand that productivity apps, the propensity to pay is very low. I could give you all the reasons not to do it, but I just like productivity apps. And a lot of those apps have also just kind of been dormant and they're probably making millions of dollars. You got to think about like what works on YouTube. It's always like lifestyle, health, fitness, making money and productivity. And I think from like a playbook standpoint, making sure that either you're the content creator or there are content creators you could partner with for distribution. And then if it's digital business, is having some natural knack for product because that's going to be where a lot of the value add is going to be. Mike is back on the show. You're one of my favorite people and you uh, you brought some ideas on this doc so we're going to go through it and I'm just reading through this and it's just it's getting me stoked. Um, <laughs> you brought some heat. I appreciate it. So let's start with this viral tweet that you had. Yeah, let's do it. I thought... I thought it'd be fun. You know, it's, it's the new year and your last newsletter was on trends or anti-trends. So that would be fun to just throw some of those out there. I was, I've been thinking through a few and just kind of riff on them. So I wrote this tweet about a month ago and I wrote it on a whim. So I, I, I took most of the year off from Twitter and around near November, December, I was like, maybe I should open up the app and, you know, just see what's going on. And this idea that I was kind of percolating was around living your friends. And I wrote it on a whim. I was, you know, I was going to delete it after a minute because it didn't get any likes. And I was like, you know what, let's just leave it up. And then I came back a few hours later. I was like, whoa. And the tweet reads, I noticed a trend where friends are moving next to each other. It can be the same apartment floor, neighborhood block, or hundred acre rural area divided into lots. Weekly dinners and impromptu walks are more of the norm. We used to prioritize finding the perfect house, but now we're prioritizing being close to our friends and curating our own community. And I think the reason it took off from reading all the comments, obviously I got trolled you know, anytime anything goes viral. I think the counterintuitive idea in there is that most people, as they get older, when they start having a family, they move near their family. And this is kind of like a, a, a counter trend to that, which is moving as close as possible to your friends. So I started to see this happening in Austin, San Francisco, even where I live. So that was pretty interesting. So Adam Newman, we works bankrupt and yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Adam Newman, of course, raised $300 million to go build a business called flow. And they're opening their first building, I think in Fort Lauderdale around here soon. And it's basically the same concept as we work like this idea around like communal space, you get like free coffee, like amenities like that, but around uh, residential living. Also, he's no longer doing long-term leases. He's buying the buildings. Got it. Obviously, he's learned from his mistakes. <laughs> um, and we actually had at WeWork, we had a version of this. Um, it was called We Live. And there was about four or five different buildings where people would come in and you'd pay rent. Let's say it was $4,000 a month. This is in New York City. Um, $4,000 a month and you got access to like a bunch of community activities. You get access to a co-working space. You got, you know, within the building, you got access to food, like, you know, yeah. and it was this, it was, it's, it was this sort of product for like 20 something people moving to a new city where they had like a community in it. What do you think of that idea? Where do you think that will I go? I think that's, I think that's a little different. Cause it's a company curating the community for you. And I think what's happening now is people are, be, are being a lot more intentional. So I was chatting with my friend Safwan and he said in San Francisco, 
his group of friends are literally taking over a whole floor in, a, in an apartment building. So as soon as like an apartment frees up, they, they hop on it and they have like a whole list, a waiting list of people that are trying to move in. And it's about curating your own community versus having other people curate it for mm. you. So I think that's what's happening. Um, or it could be something as small as, you know, like splitting a, a town, Brooklyn townhome where you live on the bottom floor and your best friend lives on the top floor. And something nice about the impromptu going for a walk or just running to each other. Um, you know, when you have kids, if you need to run somewhere, they can watch your kids for an hour. Just having that prime, you know, what community, like literally pre-internet or hundred centuries ago, what it was kind of like. And I think there's a whole trend of people moving towards it. And I saw, I started seeing different variations of this, right? So there's weekly dinners. So people just host weekly dinners, which is kind of straightforward. And then the, the easier version next to that is live next door to your best friend. Like literally you, you pick a neighborhood together, you just do it. You become roommates or you live next to each other. And then there's like taking over a floor, which is a little bit more organized. And then I'm starting to see people like building a village where, you know, they take over a neighborhood, they take a house and they make that into the communal space, kind of similar to we live. It has like a community garden, a spa, you know, like a, you know, um, they have meetings, they vote, you know, there's dues. So it becomes more organized. They vote on who comes in and who's out. So there's different levels and I'm starting to see that happening more and more. And I find that pretty interesting. So I agree with this trend. I think it's happening and it's only going to get bigger and bigger. If you're, you know, listening to this and you want to start a business based on this trend, what sort of, how do you, how do you, how do you build something in this space? Huh, that's a good question. I mean, I thought about approaching it less as a startup or a business, but running a neighborhood village as a business, right? So I thought it'd be fu fun to play it as like a mini developer, right? So rather than building these track homes of cookie cutter, you kind of go in and you take over a block and you, and you become really intentional about it. Um, and I thought that would be fun, but it would require a lot of work. You would have to be super passionate about it and you would have to have a huge group of friends that would want to do it and et cetera. And, but that's, I feel like a more natural way to do it. I, I feel like if it turns into a business, kind of like a, we live, it, it becomes a little forced and then it appeals to like the 20 something year olds. And, um, but if I were to start a business, I would run it kind of like a nonprofit type of vibe where, you know, it, I would be super intentional. I would have all the cool things that I would curate. I would have like-minded people in that community and I don't know, it sounds kind of idealistic, but you know, walking down the street, you, you bump into your friends and their friends and you have these weekly dinners and things along those lines. But I do value privacy too, so I, I wouldn't personally do it, but I would probably opt for weekly, monthly dinners and live next to my best friend versus the village. But that could be a cool business, like slash, you know, side hustle, like project for, for most people if they wanted to, to, to approach that. I was with a well-known entrepreneur a few weeks ago and he shockingly it was the first time I, I had met him. He's a tech entrepreneur. Yeah. And I was like, what's interesting you these days? And he said, real estate. I was shocked. <laughs> I was shocked. I was what, like, what's his reason? It's like, what? he, so he's just like cash flow. He's like 2024 year of cash flow. Um, so I think he, he's raised a lot of money building venture back stuff. And he's just like a bit jaded a little bit of it. And he's, he recently got married and and was having kids. And so I think he, he got really into real estate. So he asked me, he said, if you were to start a real estate business, um, what what would you do? 
And I was off the top of my head. And this is what I told him. I said, because we're in Miami, I said, there's this thing called the Bright Line. The Bright Line is this high-speed train that just came out here. And what that does is it opens up a bunch of, like you can get from Miami to Orlando in like three hours. Or you can get from, you know, my, my place to Palm Beach in like 50 minutes. Yeah. And there's probably an opportunity to build a new town. Oh, what um, idea. Yeah. And my thesis is there's only one like cool, <laughs> this is going to get me in trouble, <laughs> but there's only one real cool city in Florida and it's Miami. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sorry, but you know, I, I, I think, would actually argue there's zero cool cities in Florida. <laughs> there's between zero and one, one. cool cities yeah. in Florida. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that there's an opportunity to build like an art sort of inspired creative town, you know, that isn't, that's kind of like Marfa, Texas. Oh, I think, I think that is a great idea. I mean, you like think it? about the ultimate business is, is taxes, you know, like, yeah tax citizens and then funnel that into some cool infrastructure that you would build. Exactly. I, was, I think I read that it's not, I mean, I might be wrong about this. We should hit up chat GPT to ask this, but I don't think it's that difficult to start a town in the middle of nowhere. I think you just need a small critical mass of a few hundred people and boom, you can literally create a town. Exactly. And for those for the, those of you who don't know Marfa uh, Marfa Texas, I've never been there, but basically they've got this really cool Prada store in the middle of nowhere. Have you been there? I haven't, but I've seen a lot of people visit it, and it just seems so random to me why this yeah. town in Texas is a huge art destination. Yeah, it's an art destination, and a lot of people or people are trying to move there and. Um, I think there's an opportunity like you, you know, he was like, so, so this founder is like, so how would you actually do it? And I was like, well, the first thing is I would start by building the community online. Mm -hmm. So I would create content around it and there would have to be like some, you know, museum or some like Prada store in the middle of nowhere, like some art piece that like would attract this group of people. But the beauty is you don't need to start a town and spend millions of dollars on the town. Initially, you can just use the internet to build demand uh, initially. Yeah, I like that idea. And then you can attract like-minded people that share the same values or principles, and then you can kind of search for where this destination is gonna be. I would imagine most people would probably either live there or co-own a vacation home there. Right, and exactly. That's the yeah. other benefit of it being in Florida is like, yeah. you know, Northeasterners love coming down here during the winter. Yeah. So if you can sell them culture plus a curated community plus, you know, vitamin D, you're looking good. Yeah, that's like just a traditional commercial real estate developer in, in a way. It's kind of reminds me of Windwood Walls where that was all created, I think I read on the wall there by a developer that wanted to revitalize that neighborhood and bring art and culture into it. And they, that's right. Yeah. So you can kind of, I would imagine if you own hundreds or thousands of acres in the middle of nowhere, I don't, I don't even know if that exists in Florida, but yeah, you can make anything into a destination that people would travel to and yeah. own all the land and start selling that off. And if you wanted to really be ambitious, you could you know, turn it into a real town with 
with the government and mayor and city council members and whatnot. Yeah, I think uh, it's like a startup, right? Like you don't know where it could really go. But I think the beauty is, and, and Balaji talks about this too, right? He calls it the network state. Yeah. Um, I haven't read the book, but the concept around it is similar where you, you know, you do attract, you can attract people online, you bring them to a place um, and it, it could grow from there. I think this is a great idea. Somebody yeah. should totally, I'm, I, I bet you someone's already doing this <laughs> somewhere. I don't know. I don't, I honestly don't know. I don't know. And I think the other thing that I like about this idea, like the why now of it is the bright line has just opened up. So oh, for Florida, yeah, for Florida specifically. Well, also the loneliness pin epidemic or pin, you know, where that's, that's turning into a big, a bigger and bigger thing where people are becoming more lonely and they're craving these IRL interactions. Um, so I think that's probably another why now, which is people are getting addicted to their phones. They're not, they're lonely and they're looking for a community, either friends or people that are like-minded. Yeah. You know, I think what you're seeing with what Safwan is seeing in San Francisco, where all their friends are grabbing a floor and this, you know, that's a trend, but also this trend around like, um, I want to feel more connected Yeah, to, you know, the city I live in, the you know, the community I live in. I think you're going to see, like my prediction is you're going to see a lot of new towns and new cultural centers being created over the next 10 years. Oh, I think that would be sick. I would totally buy real estate there. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> look at look at what happened with um, Summit Series, like the story of Summit Series. Well, that's a great one. Started, you know, they didn't they buy like a ski resort and then sold off each lot for whatever, a million bucks? Yeah. So the story there was it started off as they used to throw these events with like well-known people and they were like young 20 somethings at the time. They'd like cold call Richard Branson and all these people and, and somehow convince some of them to come and join them in uh, park city, Utah for these events. And then they, that they outgrew that. And then they got a cruise ship and they invited people. Um, and then eventually they were like, let's get into the real estate business because the founders mom, I think, ran BizNow, started BizNow Media, which was a yeah. network of real estate websites. And from that, they decided to buy, I think it was like 40 or $50 million. They bought a mountain, <laughs> Powder Mountain in Utah, and they sold uh, plots of land. Yeah. There's something so simple about this business, right? It's just real estate and community. It's yeah. kind of like the oldest playbook for business. So, yeah. To answer, circle back to answer your question, if someone wanted to do side hustle project, they could do a smaller version of this within their own community, but if they want to tackle it as a business, it's like the old tried and true tested business model that has existed since, since the beginning of time, which is developing land. So, but within that, I think the other counter trend was what you were saying around a lot of entrepreneurs are kind of burned out from the startup cycle and moving towards new types of businesses. So I'm starting to see that happen um, as well. So what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, what do you, what type of businesses are you seeing? Well, like real estate is a great example, but um, I think what will happen is the thought that comes to mind for me is that a lot of new fund, funding mechanisms are going to start popping up. 
And I think we'll start seeing the one and done round. And I think we'll start seeing dividend issuing start, you know, startups that pay a dividend because not every company is going to break out. So I think we'll start seeing a lot of people taking swings. And if it doesn't really, if it takes off for whatever reason, they, they can go the traditional route. And if it doesn't, they could go the, the alternative route. So I think that will be an alternative path that I think a lot more founders will kind of embark on, especially as they hear stories from, you know, found entrepreneurs that are kind of trying something different that have done that path. But, and I think with the rise of AI and hard tech, I think a lot of funding will go towards really hard tech problems. And then there'll be this kind of like middle zone for everything else. Yeah. So the dividends thing is real. I think st startups plus dividends, like never, you know, that was, then that was like oil and water. Right. So yeah. that didn't exist. And you, you know, you, in the vocabulary of a startup, uh, up until, you know, you know, who's really doing a good job at professing this is Sahil from Gumroad. Oh, yeah. That's where I first read about it. I thought it was brilliant. Yeah. So what's his, do you know his startup that he has Let's see. Uh, in the dividend space? Gumroad. No, he has a, he's involved oh, in yeah, Flexile. Yeah. That's what it is. Flexile.com. Scale your business without full-time commitments. I'm on the website right now. So it's kind of, it's not just dividends. But basically, Flexile lets you find, onboard, and pay qualified contractors to help grow your business. But it allows you to offer dividends as a part of that. And yeah. Like you said, cash flow. I think 2024 and beyond is going to be cash is going to yeah. be what people want. Yeah. So I think there's a ton of opportunity. So, okay. So let's look at that. So that's the trend, right? Dividends is the trend. Cash flow is the trend for startups. You know, you could go and build a startup that does really well and offers dividends, or you can do picks and picks and shovels for the space like Sahil's doing. Yeah. I think there'll be a lot of startups that are probably in the hundred K to $10 million revenue range that where this would work really well for them. You know, like maybe they hit a ceiling, maybe they can't grow. Maybe the founders are tired and they want to move on. So I could see a lot of acquisitions. Um, a lot of, I think 2023 was boring businesses was kind of like the thing with boomers are going to be retiring. So they need to transfer their businesses to the younger generation. And if you tech enable it, you know, you can make a lot of money doing that and rolling them up. And I think that will work. That will start happening. And I think 2024 will be digital businesses. So SaaS, content, software, apps. I think that range between 100K and 10 million in revenue, I think it's going to be a huge, like a huge M&A activity. I think we'll, we'll see a lot more of that in 2024. Yeah, my take on the boring businesses like uh, laundromats and um, self-storage is, yeah, the idea of the cash flow of those businesses are great. But like the actual running of those businesses is not so great. Yes. And I think a lot of people have learned that in, in this year or last yes. year. Yeah. Yeah. So just in terms of like, if I were to start a digital business versus a sweaty business, let's say a boring business, like from a, from a time commitment and from a lever leverage and scale perspective, much prefer digital business. Um, and so I think what you're going to start to see is like, I mean, I guess the price for an acquisition might go up on the small scale, right? On places like acquire.com. 
Yeah, I think we'll start seeing that. I think we'll start seeing some new financing that'll go into it. A lot of activity. I mean, prices will probably go up. I think we'll start seeing founders going back in and buying companies because they realize how hard it is to go from zero to one and how much luck and timing factor into it. But I think we'll just start seeing a lot more activity. I think we'll start seeing, um, you know, not just within those businesses, but startups that are kind of failing, merging with other startups that are failing to to, to survive. I think we'll just see a lot of M&A activity. And, not, and it won't be big tech company buying small startup. It will be a lot of smaller businesses selling or merging together. I think we'll just see a lot more activity there. So, you know, what, what ideas do you have if you were going to start one of these digital businesses in 2024? <laughs> okay. um, what would I'll you throw do? this out there. Yeah. So if I, I've always wanted to build like a holding company for productivity apps. And I understand that productivity apps, the, the, the propensity to pay is very low. You know, I could give you all the reasons not to do it, but I just like productivity apps. So you know how Microsoft Office has one subscription and you can access all their tools? Yeah. I kind of want to do that for productivity apps. So I would go off and buy, I would start rolling up like a habits app or a journaling app. And then you would just have this whole portfolio of apps and charge one subscription. So hopefully the churn would be low because you would get access to all the apps in the ecosystem. But I think you could do this for any vertical. And I think if you think about productivity apps, when I look at them, like, oh, I could build that. But then I started thinking, oh, man, going from zero to one to like break out and get all the reviews. And I was like, oh, that's going to take forever. So you know, I think they're just something fun about going and buying, buying up a lot of these apps. And a lot of those apps have also just kind of been dormant. You know, they get updated once or twice, you know, a few times a year. And they're probably making millions of dollars. So that's one idea that I kind of pursued. Another one was... Wait, on that. So just on that, like literally a few minutes ago, I got a tweet. Someone replied to me saying how in my newsletter, my end of 2023 newsletter, I recommended an app called Clack. What's that? And that what, like a, it's like a paid that? app. It's $5. And it, it <laughs> yeah. turned your keyboard into like a mechanical keyboard via software. Yeah. So that when you like type on your keyboard, clack, 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 and makes that noise. And you can like change, you can make it go click, 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 or clack, clack, clack. And I just love the satisfying uh, sound of it. Yeah. Um, and I, I mentioned, I think I mentioned that the app isn't perfect, but I just still enjoyed it and it was the best I can found. And someone tweeted just now saying, clack, app is outdated and there's no sign of dev. However, it feels good to trick my brain into having a mechanical keyboard rocket ship emoji. And that's like a great example of like, someone should buy this app. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that that is a great example, right? It, someone should buy it, maintain it, improve it. And I would imagine like, you don't need to update it all the time, but just make sure you maintain it. And then that could be a great entry point for someone. And then they see this whole ecosystem of other apps and then you can centralize the development, especially with AI now, like um, to always go for the whole ecosystem of apps versus forcing the team to always be improving one when that one might not even need to be updated. So And partner with a creator on the distribution, like partner like someone like me. Like I probably sent thousands of sales to this yeah. random guy who probably is not even checking his Stripe account or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You got to <laughs> think about like what works on YouTube. It's always like lifestyle, health, fitness, making money and productivity. You know, productivity is probably one of the like self-improvement productivity is a huge bucket. So yeah, partner with the creator and you can either buy or build, but 
buying probably makes the most sense because you could probably get a lot of apps. And and if you were going to buy, like, let's just say you weren't you and you didn't have some a nest egg to go and buy some of these apps, like, how would you how would you go about starting this if you didn't have a lot of money in your bank account? I would you? I would probably build. I, I would yeah. probably take that route. Yeah, I would probably build because that's probably more within one's control. Because raising money is going to be very difficult if you don't have like a reputation or a track record. Um, your email is probably going to get ignored if you kind of just ping them because they'll just be like, who's this random person? So I, I would probably start off trying to build. Cool. And then how do you think about, you know, if you are going to go build like a holding company for X, like holding company for productivity or something, how do you think about what makes a good uh, niche to go after? That's a good question. I think... The thought that comes to mind, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this too, um, is the other, th- so the other thread that's kind of tied to this and they do overlap a little bit, which is extreme product market fit with a super passionate community. People that are into productivity are really into productivity. You could tie this to any hobby, you know, like fishing or golfing or whatever. And I think there are very specific niche products that are built for those super, super passionate communities. And that's kind of how I, I, I would think about it. So I think one is there needs to be deep, deep hold co founder fit, meaning like you're obviously into productivity and you're a productivity nerd and, and, and you're one of them, you know, I'm one of them yeah. too. I'm also a productivity yeah. nerd. Um, so that wasn't like a diss or anything, <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, but like, it. Very difficult to go and build a holding company for AI products if you're just an outsider. You need yes. to be an insider. I agree. Um, and, yeah. And then I think the second thing, to your point, is around like, is this is this community the type of community that goes on the top of rooftops and screams that they love, you know, love trying these apps? And then I think the third thing is, do these people have disposable income? I think, yeah, disposable income... And yeah, I, I would agree with that. The other thought that comes to mind is um, as a, if you're a creator, kind of similar to what you're doing, is just screaming at the rooftops that you're buying X in Y category. I, I'm still kind of surprised that no one bought Mint. You know, if yeah. the company's going to shut it down, like somebody, I'm assuming somebody could have raised their hand and said, hey, I'll buy it for you. Don't shut it down. And, and you know, I would assume those users are super valuable and passionate. I've been using Mint for over a decade. So. That was surprising, but I think it's it was owned by Intuit, right? And yeah. I think sometimes these big companies, it's like they'd rather just shut, shut it, it down, down than yeah. yeah. Um, but that was a huge opportunity. Like, I don't know. You're right. Like, I don't know. That's a, that's a whole other opportunity, which is like reaching out to big companies and their like their M&A departments being like, hey, my name is Greg Eisenberg. I run M&A at XYZ Ventures. At Greg, Greg Eisenberg at, Ventures. At, at gregeisenberg.com. <laughs> um, you're going to love it. Um, you know, would love to chat with you about, you know, ways to work together. And you hop on a call and yeah. you're like, okay, like we're buying companies. And, you know, even, even if you aren't buying $100 million companies, you're buying a million dollar companies or something saying that you, you know, if you had mint, like if you were, if you were able to say, I got mint for $25 million or $50 million, 
and you went to Twitter, like in other places, like you probably could have raised that money to buy it. Yeah, probably. But circling back to what you're saying, I think having some passion in the category, a passionate community, they're willing to pay. And I think from like a playbook standpoint, making sure that either you're the content creator or there are content creators you could partner with for distribution. And then if it's digital businesses, having some natural knack for product, because that's going to be where a lot of the value add is going to be added. So I think it's a great opportunity for repeat founders. I know that's a small subset, really, really, really small subset, but, um, but I would definitely start with one and kind of grow from there. Your, your background, you know, Skillshare, so education, online education and Otis, which was FinTech, uh, acquired by public.com. So you, you know, your backgrounds in education and FinTech, like in those two industries, like, are you, where do you see the opportunity in those two spaces specifically? And why aren't you, why aren't you doing it? I'm not doing it because I'm similar to what you write about, you know, like I don't want to jump on that treadmill again. Um, but within education, I think there's a huge opportunity for AI tutoring and it does also overlaps with FinTech too, with education. I think there is going to be a new wave, I don't know, like EdTech 5.0, but I, I do think everyone is going to have kind of like a, like an assistant or an agent is I guess what they're calling the AI community. But like for AI tutoring, for example, like I just want to learn video editing, but I don't want, you know, I, I started Skillshare, but I don't sit through a 50 hour course and I don't want to sit on these nightly course cohort court. I just want to ping someone like, Hey, how do I do this? And I want them to hit me back really quickly. I want to upload the video clip I edited and I want them to analyze it and then send me to the right places to, to improve it or tell me how to do it exactly. So instant feedback, I think is going to be a huge thing. I think it's very difficult to probably pull that off, but you could either do like a more general one, you could do it for verticals like skill-based learning or language learning. Um, I, I could see that being a thing. I, I think that overlaps also with therapy. Like I think it would be really cool to just talk, you know, I got, I got triggered by this moment. Here's what happened. Here's what I was thinking. And it would ask me questions back and it would like kind of help me rethink about how he reacted. And then also overlaps with like work assistance. Um, so I think there's just going to be a whole trend around assistance, but within education, I think like a tutoring slash coach or something, you know, something like that is like, I would love to just have one for all the things I'm working on. Yeah. So yeah, I'm hearing people talk about it as assistants, agents, characters is, is, has been the recent one. Um, and so I do think that there's a, there's going to be a huge opportunity to create characters or agents or assistants. And I also think that, doing deals with creators so being like like for video let's say uh video editing like how do you do a deal with casey neistat so you can like license his name for that i think is an interesting idea that's going to be pretty cool especially if you can if it is him that you're getting tutored from yeah and it's like his brain or his technique or his philosophy that got uploaded exactly so that i think the new thing creators do instead of like courses like asynchronous courses or cohort courses, it's, hey, for $10 a month, like you can learn from me and I'm constantly updating the model and, and fine tuning it and, and you can learn directly from me. And the best part about learning from a character like that is you actually have to do the work to learn, meaning yeah. like you're actually 
video editing in real time. You've got the software up. And when you have a problem, that's when you hit them up. So I think it's probably, I would bet that it's probably like a really effective way of learning because it's learning by doing, not learning by watching, viewing. Yeah, watching. learning by yeah. doing, I think you're right, is the most effective way to learn, especially if you could do it and learn from others too in real yeah. time. What are okay. the other trends that you're seeing in, within AI that you find interesting? Right now, it's really this characters. Like yeah. if... if um, How does that manifest? You know? Well, I think... Okay, what is a character? What, what could a character do? It could either entertain you or it could teach you. Yeah. So if you, if we believe that characters are going to be a big part of how people consume media and, ed- and education, 10%, 20%, 30%, then there's going to be tons of paid monthly memberships essentially to these characters that I'm going to have in my pocket, similar to how we had when the app store was created. So my brain power right now is thinking about, you know, in the AI space, at least if I want to create like which characters make the most sense to be created and how do they manifest itself? And then when does it make most sense to go prime time also? Like, are we ready for that? Or does it make sense to like, kind of be, you know, be behind the curtains and just iterating on it, iterating on it. My gut says that like we're we're pretty close to prime time, but we're not there yet. What do you think is the like the use case that most people will, would want when the time is right? Or like well, what would be a good example. I think AI girlfriends obviously are going to be. Oh. <laughs> huge. Yeah. You know, I think uh, I think there's no question that. So the trends that I'm seeing are like yeah girlfriends, education, and entertainment. And then the other AI trend that I think will be big in 2024 is just interfaces. So if you look at um, like pdf.ai, so you can like basically, if you check pdf.ai, chat with any PDF document from legal agreements to financial reports, pdf.ai brings all your documents to life. You can ask questions, get summaries, find info and more. That's pretty cool. Exactly. So... The dude who started this actually is is really cool. He he talks about like everything. He builds in public and he talks about all his revenue and how he's doing. And a couple of months ago, ChatGPT uh, allowed the ability to talk with a PDF. So you would think that it was done for this guy. But it wasn't because the search traffic for... PDF and AI is probably still pretty high and it's purpose built for chatting with PDFs. Like there's certain things that ChatGPT will not be able to be amazing at. So the interface for p- chatting with the PDF is is specific to to this use case. So I think more niche specific use cases interfaces are really interesting and from like we're doing a lot of that work with you know, our innovation agency where we're designing a lot of these interfaces um, it's pretty cool. and, and thinking about it. And that's sort of a bonus of running a design agency is yeah. you, you basically, you learn a lot about, you know, okay, how do I design AI interfaces? And, and uh, you learn those problems. And uh, so that's, that's sort of another reason why I like being in the space. Yeah. I, I could see th- I can see that happening. And then the obvious company that could be built around that is kind of like a Shopify for 
creating your own character or yeah. I'm just thinking from a creator use case, it's like being able to upload all my videos, everything I've ever written and basically create my own character and charge for that and have this app or software just make that dead simple where it's like drag and drop. Yeah. And I think in the past I would be like, I want to create the Shopify, but now yeah. I'm kind of like, no, no, no. I just want to create the, like the Clavio. Um, I want to build the app on top of that. You know, I think. That's why? 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 What, what, what changed your thinking from building this SaaS business towards building something? Cause that, that's counter to what was like the two 2010s, like don't build on other people's yeah platforms build the platform <laughs> that's right i know and but I've at changed. the same at the same time i've changed man i've changed <laughs> yeah at the same time it's like there's not that much venture funding happening right now but it feels to me at least 90 percent of it's going to ai yeah and most of it is going to platforms like this so i just feel like i won't be able to compete in that space but where i can compete is in uh what I, you know, what I do best, which is like build, you know, building community, picking niches, uh, building great interfaces and coming up with things that are going to spread among people is where I want to focus my energy. And yes, could I get shut down by any of these platforms at any given time? Absolutely. Um, that's the problem with being dependent on, on any platform. But if you don't take any outside funding and you build it to generate cash flow from day one, it's just a risk. Yeah, I think know? it also ties to what you're saying about style points too. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. just building something cool with cool people and having fun and yeah. making money while you're doing it. It's all things like it's like hundred x style points versus the the alternatives. Exactly. So I think there's going to be. I think some people are going to have portfolios that, you know, portfolios of these characters, um, just like how you saw people having portfolios of apps and software that is going to extend to characters. Well, that's going to be pretty cool. Yeah. Scary, but cool. <laughs> Scary, but cool. Scary yeah. coming from the old guy, you know, like <laughs> the old dude, the gray hair dude. Anything else off the list you want to cover? Okay. So I had one one last thing I wanted to get your feedback on. It's an idea. Yeah, um, let's do it. So it's related to AI. It's haggle.ai. That's what I'd call it. Okay. And it's basically a character. It doesn't exist yet, but that's what I'd call it. Okay. And I'm and I'm really into domains now. Like I really nice feel song. like, yeah, you got to, I'm really into buying, buy the domain, you know? Haggle.ai, and it's worth it. And it's basically no one likes to haggle with their vendors. You know, we have vendors that we pay thousands of dollars a month. Software, I'm talking about specifically, and we're not going to hack. Like we just like add to cart, and it scales as our team grows. But now our team is like 60 plus people, and all of a sudden we're paying thousands of dollars a month, and we probably should renegotiate it, but we don't. What if there was a character that, you know, did the haggling for you powered by AI? I would say powered by like ex FBI negotiators that right. have trained this model to be the best negotiation negotiators of all time and That's it gets right. smarter as the other side gets smarter with, you know, like, and it just gets smarter and smarter and smarter. So I think it can negotiate anything. 
but you could wedge into, well, one, I like the idea a lot, but you could definitely wedge into renegotiating your software. We, we often forget about it, but do not pay is like the OG, it's like the OG AI software company. Do you know, do not, do, do not pay? No. Do not pay uses AI to help you fight big corps, corporations, protect your privacy, find hidden money and beat bureaucracy. So it could fight parking tickets, customer service, bank fees, government uh, money you're owed, um, car repossession, city. Re- I mean, I mean, the list is probably hundreds of things that they can help you with. Last I heard, they were doing around five million dollars a month of MRR. Wow! So this is a, a, and I don't think they raise much money. Yeah, I like the idea of being able to negotiate or haggle anything, like haggle X. Yeah, you know, I like that yeah. idea a lot, and I would assume that it would come up with a set, of, like a process for how it would do, how it would do each one. Yes, and you can just kind of pick. And as long as you're saving people, making people money, or saving people money, they'll always pay for it. Exactly. Yeah, and do not pay. I think is the validation for this. So they've raised ten million dollars, and and doing at least five million dollars a month in revenue. Um, and I think the market for this, as people get just more comfortable with AI characters and AI doing tasks, is only going to get bigger. Yeah. What are your thoughts on current companies? moving into AI to defend against new companies that are trying to use AI to do what they're doing. I'm trying to wrap my head around like that turf battle that's about to emerge where like do not pay, maybe didn't raise a lot of money. They make a lot of money. They probably have a great team, great culture. You know, they could probably move pretty quickly into the space and defend I guess, their territory if you want to use like a war analogy. But what are, what are your thoughts on how that's going to play out? I was talking to Eric Reese about this from the Lean Startup on yeah. one of my recent pods. If you haven't, if people haven't heard that that episode, check it out. We were talking about um, this idea around, may, in terms of M and A, maybe the move is you actually buy an existing company that doesn't have a lot of AI, and then you just uh, AIify them, and you create like a like that's the roll up strategy. I think that's pretty smart. I yeah. like that a lot. Yeah. So I think that, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, Facebook wasn't a mobile company, it was a desktop company. And now, now they do, now it's mobile, right? Like, I think there's, AI is going to be ubiquitous, just like cloud is, was ubiquitous and social is ubiquitous. So if it's going to be ubiquitous, then everyone's going to go and it's just because, you know, it'll make the experience better. Then I think there's tons of opportunity to, to partner with existing platforms. Yeah, I, th- I think that makes a lot of sense. Like this use case has a clear like AI strategy, whereas yep. maybe some other apps don't. But this one has a has a clear clear one for sure. Would you buy or build this idea if you had to start? You know, because there are probably companies that are, are just human driven that just do this manually, where they call and do it, you know, through the phone or email, and then there's software like this, and then there's like just building it. I think I would prefer to buy it. Yeah, because of all the data. Like that's the other thing is like the existing companies have a lot of data, um, and ultimately, like the most valuable AI companies are going to be the ones with the most valuable data, and they're just using AI to use that data and charge for it. So, what you know, would love to buy it, but I also think that there's, I mean, there's an there's an opportunity to go from the ground up as well. But I would, I, if I were to do it. 
just like how do not pay started with just parking tickets, do not pay parking tickets, and now have expanded to like 30 different product offerings. I would think about what is something small enough that I can do to learn in the space and get really and train the model to get really good at it. That's also very viral. Do not pay parking tickets is a very viral idea that can get a lot of coverage. People don't like paying who who likes seeing a parking ticket? It's the worst, right? So what is the equivalent in in ha, you know in haggle.ai, this fictitious idea? What's 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 a a service that people um or what's something that a toll or a fine or taxes, maybe it's taxes. Um yeah. Yeah. yeah, I like your approach with Haggle around companies and paying for software. I, yeah. I think there's nothing more annoying than when you get, when you check your credit card statement in your company, you're like, who signed up for this app? Or where did this huge um, invoice come from? And then you say, oh, it's the app that we use, but because we're bigger now, they just start charging us enterprise. So. There's also this really interesting shift happening in AI with pricing models. So Intercom has this product called Fin. And Fin's usage is measured in resolutions. This ensures what this ensures that only that you only pay when Fin does what you care about most, resolving a customer's question. A resolution is counted when Following the last AI answer or custom answer in a conversation, the, cus- the customer confirms the answer provided is satisfactory or exits the conversation without requesting further existence. So basically, each resolution, they charge 99 cents for. So I love wow. that. It's, right? It's like aligning your incentives immediately with yes. Haggle. If you haggle the... I mean, you could even do it like per resolution or just a percentage of the money you save the other... The percentage other of the money saved. Oh yeah, that's so simple. No brainer. Yeah, you no should totally brainer. do it. Someone likes this idea. Holler at your boy, um, <laughs> Mike. Where can people find you? Learn more about your great ideas. Mike Carnge on Twitter. MikeCarnge.com for website. I, have, I just launched a podcast a few months ago. You can search TKS or the Carnge and Apricorn Show on Spotify, Apple, etc. I li- I listen to it. I love it. And uh, I was listen- I was doing to- a workout today. And watching you on my elliptical on on video, <laughs> same. Yeah, I, was, I listened to your 2023 review, which was pretty good. I appreciate it, man. All right, you're welcome back anytime. Thanks um, for having me. If pe- if people like this episode, uh, tag us on Twitter and uh, tell us what you like, what you didn't like. Um, and uh, thanks for tuning into where it happens. This is where this is where the ideas happen. So <laughs> yeah. we love to see it. Peace. Cool.